This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Do we, have, do we have anybody here that needs to hear from God tonight? Wants to hear something from heaven tonight? Amen. You're the right people then. You're the right people. When I was praying this morning, I knew I was going to do the night service and uh, Pastor Dave did this morning so I don't have to get an outline together so I can wait a little closer to service time before I get it together. Well, I, was, I was praying this morning. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I said you already know, but I asked you, look at the service tonight see who's going to be there and what you want to say to him. You know that... He knows the answers you need before you even know the question to ask. Wow, I never said that before. That was a good one. <laughs> Write that down. I want to hear that later. <clears throat> I said he knows the answers you need before you even know the questions to ask. Amen. And so when I was praying this morning, I was thinking about our prayer meeting over in the Victory Hall. We have prayer meeting every Sunday night at 5 o'clock over in Victory. And the Lord told me last week before the prayer meeting, he said, said, I want you to teach them on prayer tonight. Talk about seasoned prayer people. And so they come in there, and I didn't have any notes. I started teaching them out of my spirit. I picked up a lot in 40 years of doing this and, and taught a lot, learned a lot, prayed a lot, and know, and know some things. And so I, I sat down there, and I taught the people for a while in the prayer meeting. And we got done, and my daughter-in-law, Katie, said, uh, Pastor, could I, could, I ha- could I have your notes and your outline on that? I said, I don't have any. I just come out of my spirit. You know, I just come out of my spirit. Things that I've learned and picked up on from God about prayer. And so this morning, when I was praying about the service and asking about who was going to be here, he just gave me the title. He said, Prayer Nuggets. And so I knew what he was talking about. So I just wrote down a few notes. I'm going to teach you things about prayer tonight from the Word of God and my experiences with him, What I've some things I've learned. And, uh, you know, I'll go up my notes, and I know there'll be things coming out. It's not in the notes, because God wants to talk to you to help you be better prayers. Amen? And uh, one thing about prayer, we pray because we want answers. I was, I was thinking as we were worshiping a few minutes ago about something I heard a preacher say years ago, because, you know, a lot of people try to make prayer uh, tougher than what it is. And everybody thinks that, you know, uh, preachers spend all day long praying, and I know I've have, I've had... In years gone by, I've had, I've had wives drag their husbands up to the altar when we have pray for people then. And they say things like, my husband just won't pray for me. I will sit down every morning and we want to pray. We want to read the Bible again. He won't read the Bible with me. He won't pray with me like that. And, you know, I look at my wife and say, man, that's, we've been married for all these years and we don't do a whole lot of that together either. We sometimes, sometimes we pray together. We do say little prayers together, but we don't spend two hours together every day. How do you have a relationship with the Lord if you're somebody else all the time? Time is so valuable, you've got to develop your own relationship. I said, well, I heard a preacher say, uh, years ago, somebody asked him, said, said, well, how long do you pray every day? He said, he stopped and thought about it and said, I've never prayed over 15 minutes. But I don't go 15 minutes without praying. Amen. Uh, I was thinking, back in 1983... When I first went to Bible school, had a man teaching on prayer, and I, I think I liked his definition about better than anything I've ever heard. He said, prayer is simply fellowship with the Lord. It's fellowship with the Lord. And, you know, I'm thinking about all of us. I, I looked at David Irma. They've got a really good marriage, and a lot of you other ones do too, uh, Mike and Betty, and, you know, the Walt and I, Leah, different ones of you. You've got some good marriages, Lawrence and Leah. I'm looking at the couples in here tonight. We've got a lot of people in the churches that have, that have good marriages. But a marriage is no good if all you ever have in your relationship is a monologue, not a dialogue. If one person does all the talking, then that's not a good relationship. So in your, in your prayer times, you've got to recognize that the Lord wants to talk to you too. Yet if all you know is the Jimmy prayer... And by now, we know what the Jimmy prayer is. The Jimmy prayer is the guy that goes to pray and says, My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. Oh, Lord, bless our forward no more. You know, prayer time is fellowship with the Lord. Being able to get quiet before Him and to be able to talk with Him. But if you're talking with Him, not at Him, then you can listen to Him too. You stop for a while. You just, you know, you get to the place where you've talked and you just get quiet. You do a little 
praising, thanking you, Jesus, like that, not legalistically, but just complimenting him. I'm thinking about, you know, like a while ago, Betty's not wearing that dress. I saw pretty dress Betty's wearing this morning, you know. And I, I said, that's real, that's real pretty dress. I said, is that your Easter dress? I said, I actually bought a pre-Easter. I said, yeah, I thought so. I think I remember that. It looks pretty on you. Well, you know, isn't that, isn't that a lot better? Tell somebody something good about it. My Aaliyah, I was telling her a while ago how great she sang this morning. I said, Aaliyah, I really appreciate the way you sung today. And, you know, uh, I was talking to Walter before the service. Mr. Pastor called him up for the uh, veterans thing. I didn't know if she was doing it, what she was going to be doing. But I told Walter, I said, Walter, I said, we got some cookies for you. I said, thank you for your service. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't say that lightly either. I mean that. We appreciate what people do. But, you know, think about the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful you talk with the Lord just to be able, for no other reason than to just be grateful to him, say, Lord, I want to thank you for that parking place you gave me yesterday. That whole parking lot was full. And, you know, I didn't want to walk a block to get in there. And right when I pulled up, that car pulled out. Lord, I got the first place of the whole parking lot. Has that ever happened to anybody besides me where he does little things like that? Well, see, we need to let him know we appreciate those little things like that. And just have that fellowship. But I want to show you some things out of the bookstore before we get started because faith books and the Bible is what helped teach me over the years how to be a strong man of God. And I am a strong man of God. And I'm a strong man of God not because I'm a, a good person, but I do do good as I can, but because I know his word and I know him and I walk with him. And so from fellowship and in his word, sitting under his teachings over the years and doing what he taught me to do, I've grown strong. This verse was called The Believer's Authority. The Believer's Authority. And uh, I'll give you a little history on this book here. This book was instrumental in bringing down the Iron Curtain. Anybody ever hear of the Iron Curtain? Former Soviet Union? Well, uh, the story on this, uh, we were ordained back in the early 90s as AFCM preachers. That's Association of Faith Churches Ministries. And Jim Caseman, Dr. Jim Caseman, the man that founded that ministry, was one of the first graduates of Kenneth Hagin's Bible School, Raymond Bible Training Center in Tulsa. And, and Brother Hagin wrote this book, The Believer's Authority, and it shows us as believers how to walk on our authority God gave us on the earth. God's in heaven. We're on earth. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Go, therefore, in my name. You preach the gospel to every creature. You cast out devils. You lay hands on the sick. He told us what to do. He said he's got all the authority. We delegated that to us to people on earth. He said, what you bind in my name is bound. What you loose is bound. Jesus told us that. We've got authority. As that's called believer's authority. So anyway, Brother Hagin wrote this book really teaching a great detail how to exercise our authority on the earth in the name of Jesus to get the gospel out, to set people free from the power of the devil, etc., etc. And so God gave Jim Caseman the assignment back in the early, uh, probably, I guess probably the early 70s, uh, not early 70s, early 80s, to print 3.3 million of these in Russian. He gave him that number. I don't know why he gave him that number. He said, I need you to print 3.3 million copies of Believer's Authority and smuggle them into Russia and into the Iron Curtain countries. And so anyway, long story short, fast forward, after the Iron Curtain fell, I was in a lot of meetings with a lot of people from Russia. I've been, I've been over there. And, and I heard pastors talk about how for years, as believers, they prayed and they cried out to God, do something for us, help us, help us, help us. This has got to, this has got to change, got to change, got to change. And they would drive past the Kremlin they pointed the Kremlin. They pointed the borders of Russia because they were they were enslaved inside of there. They hollered, "Help! Help! Help! Help!" And so they were Christians that loved Jesus, but they didn't understand their authority. They just cried out for God to help. So then, as Christians started taking these books into Russia, and these pastors, believers, started studying them, they recognized that God wasn't going to do anything about the devil. He's not always going to do. He's under our feet, but we're the ones that take care of the Biden. We're the ones. Every scripture you find in the New Testament about Satan tells you what to do. It says you resist the devil and he'll flee from you, James 4, 7. Amen. And then I think about 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8. He talks about Satan as roaring long, walk not seeking, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in your faith. 
he flees from, etc., etc. Lots of scriptures tell us that, Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And so we've got the authority. So those I, I actually heard out of the mouths of many pastors over there tell them how God began to tear things apart over there as they took the authority. So when they started studying this very book right here and started doing what the Bible says to do in the name of Jesus about the devil and their country, things began to change in the former Soviet Union. In the former Soviet Union. It became former because believers rose up and took their authority. So anyway, that book there was very instrumental and I've studied this book several times over the last bunches of years, and it really helped you to get a handle on what to do in your prayer life to cause things to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this one here is a really good one. What to do when your faith seems weak and victory lost. What to do. And this book here teaches you a whole lot how to prayer right, pray right, and how to, how to really fellowship with the Lord and get prayers answered. And that kind of thing. So anyway, we've got a lot of books, a lot of resources at the bookstore to help you. And Melinda and I were back there talking a little bit ago. She's over at the bookstore and the coffee bar and things. We talk about the coffee bar, the bookstore, what vital parts of this ministry those things are that people don't really realize. And she said, yeah, Pastor, we don't care if we make money. We don't. Those, those are things back there to help the Christians be better Christians. I looked over at the book at the coffee bar, saw a bunch of you fellowship. I thought, man, that's so wonderful. Though they're bonding. They're helping each other. And then they go to the bookstore, the things that we teach, they go back there and buy and take them home and just study those things for themselves and learn. So those things are back there. They're really good for you. Just just make use of what's there. It'll change your life. So tonight, we're going to be talking about prayer nuggets. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 5 in just a minute when you get there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And I can promise you, these things will change your life. I was thinking, uh, you know, Michael Cabrera. Michael, hold up your hand so let's see who I'm talking about. Michael Cabrera was telling me that something we prayed at the men's meeting last week, how he saw it come to pass this week, talking about some people he knows had some things, some Christian people had some, had some problems in the area of life, and he wanted prayer at the men's meeting. We prayed and said, we went back there this week, that just, what did you say? Different night day. They totally turned around, got to apologize, got their thinking changed. And you know what happened? It's because we prayed and we talked to the one that could change things. Amen. It's not, it's not 10,000 likes on Facebook so those people can get some help and change. The 10,000 likes isn't in the Bible. It's praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. That's what gets results. Amen. And so Matthew chapter 6 Verse 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites. And my center column says in the, that concerns the word hypocrite, that that word means pretenders. That tells you the Greek, the Greek definition of that word. Simple, simple thing. He said, When you pray, don't be like the pretenders are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues at the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. He said, pretenders pray that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And so what he's saying there is there's religious people that don't really walk very close with the Lord, that they love to pray at public gatherings, eloquent speeches, so people will say, "Woo, aren't they something? Carnal Christians will think, man, they're really spiritual. Did you hear what they prayed? And sinners that don't know anything are impressed because it's more like more like a speech just to get people's attention. They said they've got their reward. They got their answer. People thought, man, these guys are something. These are some hot shot people. These people know God. And you know, I think about think about the two different preachers I heard about years ago. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's a good example. How many know the twenty third Psalm? The Lord's my shepherd, shall not want. Well, he said, he said there was a preacher that was having a big convention and a religious preacher got up there, somebody that knew about God but didn't know God. He got up there, and he's going to read the 23rd Psalm, and he put on his best religious voice. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. He knew how to accent the words and put the right emphasis on the right word he wanted to. And so as he began to read that, people started yawning and falling asleep. And then said some some uneducated 
anointed Holy Ghost man of God preacher got up there and when he said, when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, the glory of God fell on the congregation because the Lord really was his shepherd. Amen. And so we as believers, as we develop this relationship with the Lord in our prayer time, and he really is our shepherd, when we pray, it's like Michael's talking about, we prayed, people's lives changed because we prayed and heaven listened to us. Amen. And so it says, the pretenders are the hypocrites that wanted praise of men. They got what they wanted. That was their answer. Everybody thought, boy, these guys are something. And you know, I was thinking about, I was talking to, uh, who was I talking this morning? Oh, Rosalinda. She upstairs probably in the nursery or something. Okay, I was talking to Rosalinda this morning. We were talking about influence, and I brought up Azusa Street. I didn't know she knew anything about Azusa Street, but she used to be down. She used to go down to Azusa. Does anybody know anything about Azusa Street? That was a great move of God that started back in the very early 1900s, think like 1907, back in there. And the Church of God in Christ come out of Azusa Street. The Assemblies of God denomination come out of Azusa Street. Four Square Church come out of Azusa Street. A lot, a lot of really, really great denominations that are still going today. They were birthed at Azusa Street. And she's talking about she went down there, new people down there. As a matter of fact, we were down there for the centennial, the 100th anniversary of Azusa Street. But anyway, I told her, and you know what? I said, God got the glory for that. And listen to this. The primary one that God used for that was a black man. Came up from Texas named Daddy Seymour. He was an uneducated black man. And this was a time when black people weren't too popular to get to do very much stuff in America. But he went down. God sent him to California, and he preached with a sack over his head because he didn't want people to see him because he didn't want people to look at him. He wanted God to get the glory. And so this man spent time with Jesus and the Word of God and the Holy Ghost of God, and he sat on a box you know, I, th- I can't remember what kind of building it was, an old barn or feed store or something, some, cl- some junky old place down in Azusa, California. He had a wooden crate he sat on with a sack on his head. And he preached to these people. And the Holy Ghost came into California, into the people of California. And a fire started out of those services that spread around the world. And it's still going today. Because the Lord was that man's shepherd. That man prayed and knew God. And you know, that's what, that's what I'm talking about as these, we look at these verses here. We want to be able, when we talk to heaven, to get answers from heaven. Amen. You know, we just, we don't want it, we don't want, to, want it to be when you pray with somebody. And I'm so glad our church is well taught the Word of God. Because when we pray with most people the church here, and they know what we know from the Word of God, and we say to you, have you God? They say, yeah, I agree. But people that don't know that, they walk away and they say, well, I'm a hoping and praying. Well, what would you come to me for prayer for? I prayed for you for authority, and I got you the answer. Now, you're going to walk away and take it back to hoping and praying? Why don't you get back to praising and singing? Amen. When you know, when you know that prayer's been made and you've got the Father's attention, that's not the time to go back to hoping. Hope comes before faith. Just get back into faith and praising and just thanking him. Lord, you've heard me. I just want to thank you, Father. You've heard me. That is working. Amen? <clears throat> and so anyway, look at verse 6. So the, so the hypocrites have their reward. People think there's something. He said, but thou are you, when you pray into your closet, that's your secret place. Remember Psalms 91, he that dwelt in the secret place of the Most High? Well, your, your prayer closet is, is a spiritual place. And when you've shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. It doesn't say post it on Facebook. Pray to your Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. And open reward means manifestation. Open reward means answers. Open reward means you've prayed and then the man walks back into church and says, you know what, Pastor, we prayed. And we wasn't praying for people to hear us. We prayed for the Lord to hear us. And when we prayed, he worked on these people down there and he changed their lives. 
That's called open reward. Open reward is when you pray for your family members to come into the family of God, and they get born again, they come into the family of God. Open reward is when you pray for the ones in your family that are addicted in bondage and things are going on, that God sets them free. Open reward is God answering. And so, when you have a pure heart, I'm telling you some of these things about prayer. When you've got a pure heart before the Lord, when you're open to Him changing you in the prayer closet, when you're in your prayer closet, and I always, in my in my prayer time at home, I've always got my journal laying out there. And as we're sitting in the church services, I've always got this in my pocket. And I've always got a pen. Because we're sitting here worshiping God, and we get this atmosphere, God talks. And He speaks to something in my life about myself, or one of my children, or my grandchildren, or things going on in life. I don't have time to sit here and dwell on that. I get up here to speak, and I don't want to lose it, so I write things down that He talks to me about, because it's that important to me. Because He speaks to us. We need, we, need to, we need to let Him know that we're open to change, correction, to answers. And when he talks, we need to write things down so he knows we're serious people about that. You know, I just, I don't want to lose out on anything he says to me. And so when we've got a pure heart, and when you've got a clean conscience, and you've got an honest heart, and you're open to the Lord, and what I found out, uh, it, it took me a lot of years to finally catch on to it, but I come to the conclusion my wife's smarter than me. I come to the conclusion, and I'm not making jokes, we joke about stuff a lot, I'm not joking right now. I come to the conclusion, when we have, uh, we never had an argument in all of our years of marriage, by the way. Had some loud discussions, I can hear a couple miles away, but never had an argument. <laughs> oh, that's just a joke I used to hear a preacher tell. They probably hear it maybe two blocks away, about a couple miles. <laughs> but, uh, I found out something about me. I'm talking about being honest in the prayer closet. When I get up here so many times, the Lord has me wrap myself out. So, you know, I'm just getting used to it. So I just, that goes the territory. You've got to use yourself sometimes. And so I, I've, I've come to find out so many times when we were having things going on that I would accuse her of. Like losing something, misplacing something, or trying to find something like that. Where'd you put it? Then when I find it, I'd, oh yeah, I'm the one that put it there. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one forgot it. I'm the one that did it. Et cetera. So finally, the last couple of years, I've got to work with saying that anymore because I get tired of eating crow. Amen. But that, that came, that, I'm just saying that, that came from me in my time with Jesus, starting to recognize I'm the first one he's going to change in my prayer closet about my marriage. I'm the first one he's going to change about the church. I'm the one that's got to change if I want things to change around me. And so when you've got a pure heart in that prayer closet and you're looking for answers, you might as well quit praying for him to change other people. That'd be open for him to look at you and help you to change. So if you change, other people change. Amen. So he says in your prayer closet, he says, Your father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And I don't know about you. I learned a year, years ago, and there's, there's, there's a book out. I mean, there's really, really an old book starting like probably the late 1800s called Practicing the Presence of God. I forget who it was that wrote it. But anyway, that might have been Andrew Murray. But anyway, I've got copies of that stuff, the real old books. But I used to have a lady in Branson, Missouri, used to prayer things, used to go to, used to teach on that. <clears throat> I had a modern book that came out with that. But anyway, uh, I've always done that my whole Christian life, and most of you probably do too, where your conscience is with you. I drove 18-wheelers for a lot of years. That's big trucks. When I drove 18 wheelers, I didn't know what I was doing as far as the presence of God, but I practiced the presence of God all the time. I would pray when I was in traffic about being able to get through that traffic without people running under my truck or around me or running over somebody. I would pray because that was a pretty bit dangerous piece of stuff in heavy traffic because whether you know it or not, uh, you guys are called four-wheelers if you drive a car. And truck drivers call Semis, big trucks. So if you're on the CB radio, we're big trucks or four-wheelers. And they, <clears throat> they've got a lot of names they call four-wheelers. And there's a reason for it. When you're driving a big truck and you've got 80,000 pounds on that truck, you don't just stop like that on a dime. 
It takes a while to slow it down to stop. But people in cars don't know that. People in car, <coughs> cars jump in front of trucks and hit their brakes. And trucks, that's why, that's why a lot of times you'll see a truck flipped on a highway out the middle of nowhere. Well, how'd they flip out there? That's because somebody cut them off and they had to either swerve or kill a family. And so they swerve, load shift, and truck drivers flip. Things happen. A lot of things happen like that. So I always prayed all the time, fellowship with the Lord while I was driving. And when I got to places to back in, I'd pray, Jesus, help me back this truck up. Lord, help me get this around there. Jesus, don't let any cars be out here today so I don't have to have a hard time back there. Just practicing the presence of the Lord and then thanking him. And then sometimes we go some places and there would be mean people receiving at the Walmart store. You know, think about Walmart because we got Walmart people here and things like that. But sometimes you go to some of these places and people's got an attitude. And when you're a truck driver and you got to make 50 or 20, 15 or 20 stops and they're long ways apart sometimes. And you know, the last one you got to do quits at two o'clock. You can't afford somebody to wait for somebody in R to come and sign a freight bill for one box. But there's things like that happen all the time when I was a truck driver. And so I fellowship with Jesus all day long. And that's what the man talked about, said, well, I don't pray for 15 minutes, but I don't go 15 minutes without praying. I'm just talking to Jesus all the time. He's doing miracles all the time. That's why in the church, in pastoring the church, I see things and know things, and I, and, and I pray all the time just like that prayer. You know, it's not, it's not the formal thing, getting down on your knees and prostrating your face and fasting for 16 days or whatever, trying to get God to answer. You walk with him. And when you walk with him, it says he gives you open reward. Open reward is called answers. Walking with God. And sometimes you've got to have open rewards real quick. I think about some of the times, some of the times, some of the close ones I had when I was in a truck, and I'd be coming to an intersection, and somebody would run a light. And I'd use Jesus. And I don't know how they got there if I am getting smashed, but they're over there, and I threw the light. I'd go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because it just happened. But that's walking with him all the time. So anyway, talking about prayer is having that secret place. And I've said this so many times when I saw this passage here. I haven't really heard somebody else say it this way, but the way I see that, when Jesus says, go to your secret place, how many has ever seen a turtle? I, mean, I know we've got desert tortoises out here. You don't see much of them. And if you see too much of desert tortoises, you might get to see them from jail, I guess, if you touch them. If you don't have the $10,000 fine. <laughs> but back in Indiana, <clears throat> we had a lot of turtles. We lived out in the country, and turtles would cross across our land all the time, going from pond to pond, stream to stream. Turtles. And if you got close to a turtle... It would take its head inside the shell. It'd go inside the shell, its hiding place, its secret place, and you couldn't touch the turtle. Well, that's why I see the prayer closet is. We're like a turtle. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives inside of us, and we could be in the midst of a bunch of cussing, carrying on people on our job or at a family gathering, and all you have to do is while you're standing there smiling on the outside, on the inside, you just check out. As you go inside your prayer closet right there. I think about one time on my job years ago, a uh, truck driving job. We had we had a break room, a small break room because we didn't have a lot of people work there. It had three little tables in it. And I was in there one day. We get, we was t- <coughs> excuse me, teamsters. We just got little short breaks, 10 minutes every two hours. It was pretty, pretty rigid. This was back when there was still a lot of teamsters fights going on. The teachers thugs come and beat up bosses and stuff back in those days. It's it pretty serious stuff. So, so the bosses made us toe the line. They didn't cut us any slack because we didn't cut them any slack. And talk about us, talk about, you know, most of the union people. I, I was a Christian guy, so I, you know, I did more than I was required to do. But anyway, in the break room there, we got that 10 minute break every two hours and we didn't get 11 minutes. We got 10 minutes. And so that 10 minute time been out there on the dock with all the guys all the time. My 10 minute time, I sit down there and I, I'd have a Coke or whatever I was doing, and I had a little pocket New Testament. I'd sit there at the table. All these guys were smoking. This poor smoking got so unpopular, so it was full of smoke in the room and cussing in the room and jokes and people showing their dirty pictures and carrying on. I pulled up a New Testament, sit there, mind my own business. And this one guy came in. He was really obnoxious. He, have you ever been around a, <clears throat> a, a serious cusser that they cuss so much they don't even know they're cussing? 
Every other word comes out of the mouth has got words you don't want to say all the time. Well, I always ignored these guys, but this guy came in, and man, he was just so loud, I couldn't even hear myself think. And I said, Lord, what is that? He said, that's a spirit of blasphemy. You got authority. So all I did, I said, you spirit of blasphemy, I bind you in Jesus' name. Get out of here. And it was really hot outside and humid. It's summertime in Indiana. In Indiana, we might have 90, 95 degrees with 80% humidity, 90% humidity. So it's hot in the desert, but different kind of hot. Out there, you just have to even breathe and you sweat because of all that humidity. So we got the air conditioner cranked up, and there. It's really nice and cold. And when I bound that spirit of blasphemy, all of a sudden this guy starts choking. <laughs> oh, it's hot in here. And everybody looks at me, this guy's nuts. It's hot out there. we got the air conditioner in here, probably 70 degrees in there. We're in there freezing from that heat. Oh, I've got to get out of here. And he ran outside there, and everybody looked at him. What happened to him? Was well, another Christian sitting in the room on the other side looked at me and said, I know what you did. And so I'm telling you, we have got authority, and we want our Father that sees in secret, we want open reward. Well, reward was the room got quiet, and a little bit of time I had left, I was able to have my secret prayer time in my prayer closet and read my Bible. Hey, man, wasn't that a whole lot better than the religious thing? Stand up and tell that guy, you wicked sinner, you better shut up. Don't you know you shouldn't talk that way? There's a holy God in there here. We've got a holy people in here. You better shut up. That always gets good results, doesn't it? Doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. And so anyway, your father sees that secret reward you open. So you, you carry your prayer closet wherever you go. And, <clears throat> you know, if you've got a good, quiet place at home to pray, that's nice. But you're not always at home. So then verse 7 and verse 8, he says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. They think they shall be heard for their much speaking. I want to say it again. They think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And so when I saw that, that's why I wrote this down. It's not the quantity, but the quality. Not the quantity, but the quality of the words that you pray. And then he says, in verse 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of. Now look at this, before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask. You know what Jesus said before you ask? Does that mean you're supposed to ask? He said he already knows he wants to answer before you ask. And so God already knows everything about your life. He knows your relationships. He knows your needs. You don't have to try to convince him or talk him in to helping you. I want to say that again. So many Christians think they have to be beggars in the prayer closet. God wants you healed. He wants your loved ones healed. God wants your needs met. He wants you to have good things. He wants you blessed. He wants your family blessed. And see, when you, when you change in your prayer time from being a beggar to a fellowshipper, then things totally change. Things totally change. I want you to see this again. Jesus said, don't be like the ones that think they've got to have 10,000 likes. He said, through their much speaking, it doesn't take much. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for how good you are. I want to thank you for how awesome you are. Lord, I'm just thinking about that parking place last week. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I just want to thank you for that person that crossed my path. But I, when I was feeling so stupid right then, they come up and said, Pastor, I really appreciate that sermon you preached last week. That really changed my life. Little things like that. You know, whether you know it or not, uh, you know, pastors, you know, they used to have this thing, you know, that so-and-so's two needs love. Pastors need love. And we appreciate that. We don't, we don't live off of pride. But I'll tell you what, my job security is when your lives change. And when I preach or teach something, you tell me it changed your life or changed something your family, 
that on the inside of me, that's all the boys I need. Thank you, Jesus. We hit the mark. Thank you, Lord. We changed them. At a service like this, when I pray and say, Lord, you know he's going to be there. And then somebody tells me, you know what, Pastor? I've always wondered about that part of prayer. At night's the first time I've ever really seen that. I say, thank you, Jesus. We hit the mark. You did what I prayed for. I pray for you to speak to me and change their lives. And they said you changed their lives. And so I want to thank you, Lord, that they let me know that you changed their lives. And for your lives, it's the same way. But you thanking him all the time for the little things that he does that seem, <clears throat> seem insignificant. But you're grateful for that. A grateful person. But anyway, he said, your father knows what you have need of before you ask him. That must mean he wants to answer. Amen? That must mean that he wants to answer. If he knows what you have need of before you ask him, he wants to answer. So look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I remember years ago, back in the poor days, before we finally started getting some manifestation of things in our life. We're going to start at verse 29. But I remember how much these verses, I'm going to look at 29 through 32, how much these verses spoke to me about my family. When my wife and I got married back in 1982, we'd both been married before and had, had divorces behind us. So she had two kids. I had two kids. So we had four kids all together. Then we ended up having four together, a total of eight kids. And so, you know, everybody does what they want to do with their life. Well, we had two. I had two. She had two. And so we decided when we got married that I would be the one that always works to support the family. She'd always stay at home and take care of the kids. And that's not to say anything about anybody. It's all choices we make in life. And so we made a faith choice. And I told her, if God can't use me to provide for the family, then we're going to be in trouble. Because I saw the conditions of families in my family, other people I knew. And we knew we wanted her to be home all the time for them. And I believe God for the money to take care of us. So that was our choice. So uh, did we do without a lot of things? We did without a lot of things. We had a lot of poor days. Poor days that I ever want to think about. I was telling somebody a while ago, I remember the poor year of 1985 when I walked away from that uh, job that was going to take me away from church and my family. I, I drove with, by then, my stepsons were about six foot tall. They were teenagers. But the whole year of 1985, I drove a borrowed Ford Fiesta. We couldn't even hardly fit in it. So I remember we'd ride that car. They'd be at that little backseat of that Ford Fiesta. And they'd curl around like pretzels. And they'd drive down the road. And it's like clouds feet sticking out the windows. It was, <laughs> it was pretty tough. That was a bad trucking year. Wasn't a lot of bucks coming in. It was, it was a bad year. And we went through things like that. But the thing is, our children serve God now. They're not dopies, they're not alkies, they're not in prison, they're not in jail, they're not thugs. We sacrificed some natural things for the spiritual well-being of our family. We came out on top. But I said that to say we had poor years, so the Lord gave me verses like this. And this has everything to do with the prayer closet. He says in verse 29, well, leading up to this, he talked about the natural things of life we need, food, clothing, and the things we need in life. And then he said, and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye a doubtful mind of anxious, fearful about the future. He said, don't be that way. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Well, that's what he said in Matthew 6. Your Father knows you need these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 32 kept me going for a long time through those financially thin years. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And how many know if he gives you the kingdom, everything we need is in the kingdom? And so I'd look at that verse all the time out of my prayer closet. I'd read that verse in fellowship with the Lord. I'd say, Jesus, I want to thank you. That's the Father's good pleasure to give us what we need. It's the Father's good pleasure. And Mrs. Pastor used a while ago, Psalms 35, 27, that he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And so it's so nice, it's so nice 
your fellowship with somebody not to speak their language. And, you know, I've said this many times, that if you're going to have good fellowship with the Father, you've got to learn his language. His language is called the language of faith. Faith pleases God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so if you're talking to him, and you're talking to him what the Bible says about your situation, you're speaking his language. You're talking faith to him. As I remember all those times I'd fellowship, and I said, Lord, I want to thank you, no matter what it looks like. No matter what it seems like right now, I know what your good pleasure is because Jesus told me. It's your good pleasure to take care of my family. It's your good pleasure for us to have what we need. It's your good pleasure, Lord, to take care of Christmas. It's your good pleasure, Lord, to take care of this education. It's your good pleasure, Lord, for us to have a good car. And all those things. See what I'm saying? I'm talking about the prayer bit of fellowship and with the Father. Fellowship is speaking his language, talking what he talks. He don't, he doesn't hear. The prayer of doubt and unbelief. You know, I just think I just think about what if, if you're a whiner, you're never going to be a winner. Winners don't whine, and whiners don't win. Amen. You need to be a person that fellowships with the Lord. So anyway, that's that's this first little prayer nugget I wanted to share. That the main thing is, is prayer is talking with Him, fellowship with Him, recognizing He knows what we need before we ask. It's not, it's not of how long you pray, but it's how you pray. And so we need to pray that way. Look at John 15. It kind of picks up on, on that thought from where I was about his word. But John 15, verse 7 and verse 8. John 15, verse 7 and verse 8. Jesus said to King James, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, as shall be done unto you. And you know, I want to point out something about this. If you abide in me, that means to be born again. That means Jesus in your heart, you live for him. But I want you to notice what he didn't say. If you abide in me, you shall ask what you will, as shall be done unto you. If that's all it took was abiding in him and then asking, we'd all have it made. There'd be, there'd be no unanswered prayer. But he didn't say that. If you abide in me, have my words abide in you. Jesus' words have got to live in us too to get answered prayer. You know, there's Christians that pray and pray and pray and pray and never pick up their Bibles. So they don't get answered prayer because the word's not living in them. Am I preaching real good or what? You know, look at this verse right here, what Jesus said. Look it up your own eyes. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and then he said, and my words, they got to abide in you. And so in the, in the Greek, that says, my words have their place in your conduct. In other words, when you're living your life every day and God's words living in you, they will, they will, uh, kind of have influence on how you talk to people. They'll have influence on how you act, on things you do. Because the words living in you, when the words living in you, you're not going to laugh at some things you laugh at. I think about when I was a Christian truck driver, you know, now I can't imagine what it'd be like. I'm glad I'm not out there now with all the different things they have they show on cell phones. Because back then, uh, men or men, whether truck drivers, factory workers, or where they work at, Everybody all the time had a dirty picture they wanted to show you. They cut something off a magazine or something. All the time wanted to show dirty, nasty pictures. They could win with stuff. Well, after I was a Christian, when that happened, I wouldn't even look. Because God's Word controlled my conduct. It had something to do with me. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. And he tells us what to do. So then, And then they'd, they'd want to tell some nasty joke. They'd tell something. They'd want to make a joke about somebody's wife or make a joke about sex and stuff like that. Well, I knew in my heart. That was wrong to do, so I wouldn't laugh anymore. God's word has place in my conduct. God's word abided in me. I'd walk away from people. And, you know, they'd say stuff about, oh, who are you, Mr. Goody Goody Two Shoes? You said, you too, you too, you too holy to laugh anymore? I say, yeah. Too holy to laugh at that stuff. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I don't want to say that naked lady. I don't want to hear about who you had sex with last week. 
I don't care about that stuff. I, I care about treating my wife right, and I'm not going to do that. Amen. And so I'm talking about what he says here. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Like Pastor Dave this morning telling about the $30,000 cheeseburger. Man, well, that's some kind of a story. Wow. That was the word of God abiding in him for him to make choices that please the Father. But anyway, I want, I want you to see this. He said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. He said, ask what you will. Ask what you will. You know why that is? If God's word is living in you, then what you ask is going to be in line with God's word. Think about healing. You know, a lot of people that haven't been really taught the word of God on divine healing, they don't understand about that, so they don't know how to pray in faith about healing. But when Jesus said, lay hands on the sick in his name, they shall recover, that means that when I lay hands on by the name of Jesus, I'm asking what I will. It shall be done unto me. That's why we have miracles. That's why things happen, because we know the word of God, because it lives in us. You know, I think about all the soul winners are in this church. I think about Dave. Well, I'll tell you what, Dave is a mechanic, a lot of other things, but Dave's a preaching machine. Those people he hangs out with, he is. He tells about some of the guys he, he works for. He's, he's, a, he's self-employed, works for a lot of different people. But I'll tell you what, they don't want to sneeze around him. They do. He's like I was. I was a Christian trucker. They sneeze, but he's got a head. <laughs> they sneeze, the head goes up. But he's got some prayer going on. Let's people know what's going on. They don't want to whine about problems because he's telling them in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray for you. Because when, we, when his word lives in us, we know the answer lives in us. And we know that when we pray the word, we're praying the answer. We're praying the word, we're praying the answer. Faith doesn't deny things, faith changes things. And so anyway, Jesus, knows what he said, ask what you will shall be done unto you. Then he said, <clears throat> here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And so this is called prayer fruit. When you pray, answers happen. says God gets glory. And when God gets glory, they says people know you're my disciples then. And that's what he wants people to do, to know that this happened, not because we were lucky, but because Jesus' disciples and were blessed. And he called us to take the blessing to other people. And so Jesus tells us right here, a big prayer nugget is to be a person of the word. You keep the word of God in you. And you know, uh, this isn't Wednesday night, so I, I don't usually get too tough on Sunday night. But just for the Wednesday nighters and other people, let me ask you, all you Wednesday night people, how many have been taking our challenge to learn some of these verses lately? We've been challenging you with start learning verses. I know Irma is. She told me a while ago she's writing them down. She learned. Has anybody learned a new Bible verse in the last month? Dave, would you stand behind me? I'm going to get slayed in the spirit. I'm about to faint. Has anybody learned a new Bible verse in the last two months? Has anybody learned a new Bible verse this year? Yeah, praise God. Amen. <clears throat> well, why am, I, why am I asking that? Well, I'm a pastor that wants to challenge you to be a stronger Christian. And the more you learn Bible verses that are pertinent to your life, then your faith level is going up. And your answered prayer level is going up. Because Jesus said, if my word's alive in you, then ask what you will be done unto you. Amen? Is that, is, is that a good nugget? Keep on learning the word. And let me tell you something else that helped develop me over the years. Uh, I don't know how many other people besides us have ever been uh, married before, then got married to somebody else and went through child things, visitations, uh, holiday visitations, trade-offs, and stuff like that. But I'll tell you what, if it's not two serious Christians in it together, there's some challenges sometimes in domestic things. That developed my prayer life over the years. We stood on a lot of things in our relationship with ex-spouses and child things like that. And here's what happened with us. <clears throat> we would use everything we do in the prayer arena and things sometimes would get worse, not better. So instead of giving up or getting depressed, you know what we did? We dug into the Word found more verses. We dug into the Word and found more verses. 
we dug to the Word and found more verses. And I always think about Thomas Edison and the light bulb. Thomas Edison, when you read his biography and his story, I forget something like 1,200, 2,000 different things he invented trying to make a light bulb that would last. He could make something that would light up, but they'd last for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, two hours, they'd burn out. And so he worked on the light bulb for years. He knew in his heart and his thinking that it was possible to make an electric light bulb that would be functional, reasonable, would last a long time, and people could really benefit from it. And so people came. He was going broke, so when he tried to make this light bulb work, people come to him and said, why don't you just admit it's a failure and it won't work? He said, sir, I forget the number was, but something like this, sir, I have found out 11,999 ways that don't work, but I'm going to find the way it does work. And so that's how I was about the Bible verses. When you're dealing with other people, sometimes it's tough. And so we went through all these different things of trying to get relationships right with kids and all that kind of thing. And we would dig in, and we would dig in. We'd find out what the Bible said. We'd stand on it. And think, man, we're getting success. Then here come another wave of problems. So what would we do? We'd pray. We'd find more verses. We'd pray. We'd find more verses. And that's one thing that helped develop my prayer life and my pastoring life was going through problems and digging in the Word. Going through problems and digging in the Word. Going through problems and digging in the Word. Writing them down on cards, in the Bible, yellow, yellow, yellow marker, red stuff, stars, writing things out, praying things out. And then in services sometimes there'd be a pastor or a Bible teacher would hit a bunny trail. Say, you know what? Uh, let me tell you this. It all of a sudden it had nothing to do with his preaching. And we're sitting there, has everything to do with what we're facing. And so when they quote a verse, I'd even look at that, I'd write the verse down. And I couldn't wait to get home to study that verse out, find out, because they hit a bunny trail. But my faith touched heaven. God touched their heart. They hit a bunny trail and spoke to my life. And so I get those words in my heart, and those words get in my heart, get in my mouth, and then those would come to pass. So he said, I'm saying, that's what you got to do. you got to be able to get in there and see that. And I want to look at another place here. In Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, we're talking about prayer nuggets, some things that I've picked up on over the years, some things that I've learned. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you for where you are, and we're hitting a few different prayer areas, but just listen to what the Spirit of God through the Word of God is saying to you and you're going to see what Jesus said we could have. Jesus said, your father that sees you in secret will reward you openly. I love open reward. I love people to see answers. I, I know that uh, one time, several years ago, we went through a thing, that a, a battle we faced for a long time. And then somebody made the statement, wow, that was, you was an overnight success. I said, it was a long night. I wish you'd been with me the last 10 years. See, that's what happens. People don't see the crisis you're facing, but you get the answers. Jesus said, when your prayers are answered, your, God, your Father gets the glory. God gets the glory, we get answers. But sometimes, sometimes we have to, having done all, stand. To stand till we get it. Amen? Mark 11, verse 22. <clears throat> Jesus said unto them, Have faith in God. Your faith has to be in God, not in a man, not in a woman. Praise God that we've all got spiritual friends that we know how to pray and we can get somebody to pray with us in agreements, things like that. But your number one thing has got to be faith in God. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, and so I circle the word say, because that's important. And that's not talking about praying. This is about your everyday talk. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, and your mountain is what you're facing in life. It could be a family mountain, family crisis that looks big, too big. It could be a, a financial thing, family thing, job thing, health thing. Uh, whatever it is, whatever it is, it looks like it's going to crash down on you. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart shall not doubt in his heart. 
He didn't say his head. There's a difference between your heart and your head. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart, and your mind, being a part of your head, has to be renewed. He said in Romans 12, too, that be not conformed to this world. Don't think like they do, but renew your mind with the Word of God. Doubts hit your head, but faith is from the heart. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith, and I circled the saith, because he said that again. He said, say, then he said, saith, shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So a big part of your faith life is your mouth. Jesus said, whosoever shall say, and shall not doubt in his heart. Faith will work from your heart even when the doubts hit in your head. You don't speak your doubts. You speak your faith. You speak what you're believing. He said, you speak to the mountain, be thou removed. And so when, you, when you've got problems and you've already begun to speak to them what the Word of God says, then stick with what you're saying. He said three times. Three times he talked about your saying. At one time he talked about your believing. Shall believe that those things not which he hopeth, shall believe those things not which he wanteth, but shall believe those things which he saith, shall come to pass. you got to hope, you got to want, etc., but the main thing is, Jesus said that what you're saying is what's going to come to pass. But then he said, therefore, and when you see the therefore, you always got to think, well, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, because verse 23, he told you a spiritual law about your confession, about what you're saying causes things to change. Therefore, because you're talking right now, therefore I say to you what things you desire when you pray. So he changed from the pray, from the saying to the praying. What things they ever desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. And so Jesus said, because you understand you're going to have what you say, therefore, now I can teach you how to pray. I can give you some prayer nuggets. It doesn't do any good if we prayed for change in your finances if you go out of here and start talking broke. You go out of here and start talking lack. Start talking defeat. Never going to get it. Jesus said, because you understand you're going to have what you say before you have what you pray, he said, now that you understand your saying affects your praying, therefore, I say to you now, what things are you desire when you pray, because you understand the saying part. Because you understand your words have authority, he said, now you can pray. This makes sense to you? Talk about a prayer nugget. You've got to change what you're saying if you want to get what you're praying. Amen. Amen. I'll I'll tell you what. I just think about the Christians I know. And God answers prayers. And the first thing out of my mouth, Oh, I was lucky today. I thought we prayed. I thought God moved. I didn't know it was luck. Jesus never said anywhere about, if you're lucky, you'll get an answered prayer today. Do yourself a favor. Take the word luck out of your conversation. You know, luck is part of the curse because people have good luck and they have bad luck. <laughs> there aren't any good blessings and bad blessings. Blessings are blessings. The curse is the curse. And so if you're in the luck arena that you got lucky today, you might not be lucky tomorrow. But if you're blessed today, you're speaking blessings, you're going to be blessed tomorrow. And so whether you feel blessed, whether you look blessed, or whether people think you're blessed, it makes no difference. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.3 that God's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings, heavy places in Christ. And so people ask you how you're doing. They just start getting bold and saying, I'm blessed. They look at you, drive that old goofy 1975 Ford Fiesta with the rust all over the place and smoke blowing out the doors and uh, size size 16 shoes sticking out the windows. How you doing? How you doing, Brother Bernie? Oh, I'm blessed. They, <laughs> well, guess what? After a few years, better cars showed up. 
had not borrowed cars. I had to get that back after a year. <laughs> Probably went and sold it for junk. <laughs> if somebody got her, maybe pay somebody to take it for junk. <laughs> but anyway, what am I saying? Jesus said, get your saying right if you want your praying right. Can you see that nugget? And the last place I want to look at <clears throat> is Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23. And I want to say something about this verse. For my serious seeking God time for things I really need answers to, that, you know, about job decisions. I don't know about any of you, but back when I was needing a job, sometimes we'd be standing on the word for a job, I remember one time in particular, all of a sudden, I got three different choices all in one week. And so you're praying about that. And back in those days with Teamsters jobs, uh, Teamsters, Teamsters is different now than we were back then a few years ago. But back, back, back when Teamsters jobs were really the good jobs that everybody wanted for truck drivers and things like that, because Teamsters used to only be in truck drivers. They went in all these other places. They was purely truck driving things, and where, trucking warehouses things. Teamsters jobs had the best health care insurance. This is where all the health care battles started. We never had a doctor bill or a hospital bill or anything like that because Teamsters paid everything. And so when you got a Teamsters job, you didn't just get a job. You got your health care totally taken care of. It was just there wasn't any deductible. They just paid it. We had the best there was back then years ago. And so we got a Teamsters job. We had more days off than by with pay. I mean, it was really the job to get good money, but really good benefits. But back when the country went through some changes back in the Back in the 80s especially, you never knew if a company was going to last next year or not. The first company I was at was business since 1927, but it folded. Then the next teacher's job I had been about as many years that it folded because it, it was really a bad hit on trucking back in those days. So when you get three offers in one week, need the job, you got to hear from God. Which one do I take? Because this one might look good, but they not, may, not, may not be here a year from now. And this one over here might not look so good. But they might be here a hundred years from now. And if anybody ever had jobs like that where you thought, man, we got this one made and seen people like that and thought, man, they'll never go under. They come to find out they had somebody at the top of stealing all the money or making bad investments with the money. And then this other job over here, you thought, man, this here's the nothing. I don't want to take this. They only got a dozen people working there. They probably won't be here from now. Well, the big boys are going. That was still here. They got a thousand people there now. And so when I am facing Serious things, this verse right here is a big part of me finding out from God what to pray. Romans 14.23, in the King James, the last part of the verse says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, the Amplified Bible, if you got that on the screen back there, you can pull it up. That would be good. But if not, then listen to me from the Amplified Bible. Should have gave this to you in reverse for the computer. But the Amplified Bible says this, for whatever, the last part of the verse, whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. That is, whatever is done without a conviction of its approval by God is sinful. Thank you, Mayley. That was an excellent job. But it says, whatever is done without the conviction of its approval by God is sinful. Whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. So when I've been in really serious times, with people things, making money decisions, church decisions for this church and other things, when it's not in black and white what to do, and there's different options that any of them can be right or any of them can be wrong, I've got to get in my prayer closet. And, you know, whether we like it or not, as Christians, as human beings, we got to make decisions sometimes. You can't always be praying, oh, God, open this door, oh, God, close that door. God expects us, as believers, to grow up enough. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. He told us, what we buy on earth is bound in heaven. He told us, faith pleases him. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so, as Christians of faith, as we're growing in the Lord, now, new Christians, God doesn't hold us accountable as he does more mature Christians. We've got to get to the place to where when we... I don't know I've had to make decisions before that when you make decisions and, you know, once I put these words out, once I sign my name to that legal document, 
once I do this, once I cross this line, if this doesn't work, then man, there's a domino effect and everything starts falling because i got to make this decision. And sometimes in our lives, in financial things, in real estate things, in family things, there's decisions that have to be made and God expects you to make them. And our prayers work. And so in my prayer closet, in times like that, when I know this thing's been put off as long as it can, i got to be at that office tomorrow, and I've got to make the decision for them. They're going to tell me, because if I don't, they'll make it for me. And so when you come down to those times, and you're following the good shepherd, then you've got to sit down, and in my heart I say, Lord, you said whatsoever is not originate for seats of faith is sin. And so I know right now I've got to do this. And Lord, and I'm in my quiet place. I've got my eyes closed. I'm listening in my heart, not my head. And you said, whatever is done by conviction of his approval by God is sinful. I say, Lord, I'm listening in my heart. You said in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. You said in Romans 8, 16, your spirit bears witness to my spirit. And so, Lord, right now, as you're looking at me, you know, tomorrow's coming. I have to make this choice tomorrow. One way or another, I have to make the choice. That's the Lord I'm telling you right now. In my heart, I really believe with all of my heart, this is what you want me to do. If it's not, Lord, then I want to thank you for changing me, for what I do, what I say, what I'm praying. The Lord, look at me right now. And you can see what's in here. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm stepping out in faith that this is what I'm going to do. And that's the kind of prayer clause that I'm talking about. When you stop, especially in the real serious things of life, and you listen on the inside because God said right here, whatsoever not of faith is sin. And so faith <clears throat> sees in the Word of God what God wants you to have. Then faith gets a hold of God to see, is this how you want me to get it? Is this when you want me to step out and get it? And then faith, because it reaches the word and pulls it out, listens to the conviction in the heart from the Holy Spirit, then faith reaches out with words and actions and grabs the promise of God. That's how faith works. But the thing is, I want to emphasize from the very start to the finish of what I taught those beautiful nuggets tonight. Number one, prayer is a fellowship with God. It's not the quantity, but it's the quality of the fellowship. And then as we end up, faith is having that time with Him in your heart where you know when you step out, because if you're stepping out like that, God is going to correct you if you're starting to make a mistake. He's going to help you make a change and adjustment. When you're in your quiet place and you said, Lord, I've convinced in my heart I'm pleasing you, and you're not playing a con job. Because if you're doubting, you need to stop and go back in until you're sure. And because the Word of God tells us so much about our relationship with Him, you can do that. And your Father that sees you in that closet in secret rewards you openly. And then when people look at you, say you're lucky, you can just grin and say, no, I'm blessed. And like a lot of people, I say, I'm blessed by the best. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.